John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 126 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective. Because unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual, the number one pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. All right, we're heading down the home stretch of this wild and crazy election season. Just two more episodes of the podcast before the votes begin to be counted. And, of course, uh, the uh, the insanity has been at a fever pitch over the last several weeks. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, opens up a Supreme Court seat, and then we had that absolute shit show of a debate. And then Trump got the coronavirus. And then, of course, last week Trump passed away from the coronavirus And this week, uh, there are the funerals for Donald Trump, as well as the funerals for all the other Republicans who got the virus at the Amy Barrett reception at the White House. This has obviously delayed uh, Barrett's nomination until after the election and probably will end up causing her not to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Uh, President Pence has not yet decided whether or not he'll be going to Donald Trump's funeral scheduled for later this week, as well as the other funerals for the other Republicans who died of the coronavirus. And, of course, this last part is pure fiction. I'm sorry. That's just what would have happened had we been in a real pandemic that was anything close to what we were told the coronavirus would be. That's what is going on here. Correct. And the reality is, and of course, we're living in an upside down world. I mean, almost everything about the world now is totally upside down. And the reaction to almost everything is exactly the opposite. 
as to what uh, logic would dictate that it should be. But in a logical world, when uh, Donald Trump, who is at least technically, if not uh, truly obese and 74 years old, uh, gets the coronavirus and uh, out of an enormous amount of precaution, uh, goes to the hospital for a couple of days and comes out of there with no problems whatsoever and is now doing rallies and acting completely normally as president of the United States, that should at least get somebody to go, hmm, okay, hmm, maybe this isn't quite as bad as we were led to believe. But, of course, they will always rationalize it. They, well, he's getting special treatment. He's the president of the United States. Okay, well, what about these other Republicans who were at this Amy Barrett so-called super spreader event, super spreader called by Dr. Fraudshi, who seems to be willing to be an alarmist on any little thing as possible, at least if the media wants him to be. Uh, none of those people even got sick. None of them. There's no evidence that anybody from that super spreader event even got sick. And forget about even going to the hospital, at least that I'm aware of. And certainly, obviously, nobody has died. No one's come close to dying. And even Chris Christie, even Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, who's an ABC commentator, who is not just, forget about technically obese, he's morbidly obese, morbidly obese. Correct. And apparently has asthma. Now, he's not as old as Trump, but he's not young either. And he did go to the hospital for several days, but he's apparently now out of the hospital and doing just fine and will be expected to make a full recovery if he hasn't already. Uh, come on, people. Can, can we not use our brains? But, of course, this is emblematic of why the alarmist argument, quote-unquote, cannot lose. The alarmists are always right because they go crazy when Trump gets the virus. It's karma. Oh, thank God he got the virus. It's, he deserved it because he doesn't wear a mask enough. All those non-mask-wearing Republicans, they, they don't wear masks, so that's why they're getting the virus, even though there's no evidence to support that. But evidence doesn't matter anymore. It's a religion. And so, uh, you know, there's all this, this frenzy over the original coronavirus uh, test test positive, the testing positive for the coronavirus is all this hysteria. And yet when the resolution is no big deal, there's no follow up. So there's a 10 in media coverage when you get the coronavirus. Oh, my gosh. And then, oh, by the way, when you're perfectly fine, no one wants to put all the dots together. No one wants to think about this in the big picture. And yet all the other side ever points to is Herman Cain. Herman Cain, who was in his 70s, had battled cancer for a long time, unfortunately got the coronavirus, thought he was going to be okay, and died. Yeah, you know what? Because the virus is real. And law of averages being what they are, somebody well-known is going to die either with or of or somewhere in between the coronavirus. But isn't it bizarre that it's only been one guy? That's really well known. Herman Cain, former Republican presidential nominee, was the favorite for like 15 minutes. I mean, what? It's just, it's, doesn't that make anybody go, hmm? Shouldn't this be happening constantly instead of having only one person to point to? And boy, oh my gosh, do liberals on Twitter, boy, do they love the Herman Cain death. I mean, they, 
they get sexually aroused by the Herman Cain death. They really do. And I, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, there are people who are getting off uh, and we're getting off on the idea that Republicans were getting the virus because of this Amy Barrett event and obviously Donald Trump getting the virus. Yet no one ever puts it all together that, hmm, hmm, maybe this is just the flu. Maybe unless you're in a really vulnerable situation, this is not that big of a deal. Maybe a case, quote unquote, or a positive test of coronavirus is not, not the reason for hysteria that we have all bought into. Just throwing out that, that out there. I realize that that's too much common sense for today's world, but that's the price of the original narrative. I have become a huge believer that the first few days in any breaking big story are are incredibly important because once the narrative is set, it's over, especially in a situation like this where fear is such an incredible motivator and where you also have Donald Trump as president who uh, is perceived, understandably so, as being anti-science and therefore he's inherently wrong about everything and anything he says is presumed to be wrong no matter what direction it, it, it comes from. But once it was accepted, and Trump's presidency, I believe, will end largely because of this, once it was accepted, and Trump certainly played into this, that a positive test for coronavirus was a significant and inherently horrible thing. Once that was accepted, this was over. This was all over. It was all over for Trump. It was all over for the country because the reality is, in many cases, if not most cases, a positive test is not only not a, a horrendous negative, it is often a positive. Like, for instance, ironically enough, thank goodness Amy Barrett had already gotten the coronavirus before that reception. So she apparently has at least some level of immunity to it, didn't get it again, and they were in fact able to start the nomination process and the committee hearings as had been previously scheduled. So, uh, and, and this goes for every walk of life. There was a study out this week that, guess what? If we had uh, opened up our schools, that actually would have been a positive thing because the kids would not have been super spreaders. And they all would have gotten it. They would have all been protected. And after a fairly short period of time, we would have no longer had to worry about keeping them from away from grandma and grandpa. But that would have been too smart. That would have been too sensible. That would have required too much common sense and far too much courage for what we currently have, which is basically zero in American life today, especially when Donald Trump got duped. Donald Trump got duped and bought into a whole bunch of false premises that the left is now latching on to for dear life. And the media, of course, continually, continually perpetuates despite massive amounts of evidence, not just data, but also real-world evidence. I mean, my God, Chris Christie survives this, and no one even cares. No one even bats an eyelash. No one even bothers to mention it. Oh, by the way, Chris Christie is out of the hospital. Uh, again, for the 101st time. It's real. It's terrible. It's caused a lot of damage medically, but we have reacted to it in a way that was moronic that has caused far, far more damage, far more damage than the virus ever would have done 
on its own, both medical, social, cultural, economic, in every possible way, and I believe much of that damage is permanent. And Trump deserves an enormous amount of blame for that because he butchered this from the beginning and he was never able to find a narrative that made any goddamn sense because of his own ego. His own ego, it's still happening today where Donald Trump's ego will not allow him to pick a narrative that makes sense regarding the reaction to the coronavirus. The only narrative that he wants to pick is the one where he saved millions of lives, which nobody is buying, which doesn't help him at all politically, which is not even accurate, and which forever cements, even among Republicans, the idea that the government is that powerful and that that they have the ability to save millions of lives and that lockdown somehow work it. By the way, today, I guess it was yesterday, Trump contradicted himself once again by saying that lockdowns don't work. That uh, that <laughs> Because now even the, the World Health Organization is saying that they're not worth it. Well, wait a minute, which is it? Wh- which is it, President Trump? Did you save two million lives and you're a hero? Or, or did you fall into the same mistake everybody else made? I, I mean, and I, I, I've said this for months, but it's because it's accurate. Because this is, this is why Trump is going to lose. I mean, there are lots of reasons why Trump's going to lose, but but this was the, the final nail in the coffin because he has allowed the other side to define what the rules are, where the goalposts are. They get to change and move the goalposts constantly, and he's sitting there. It's like he's not even president. He, he abdicated all of his authority to Dr. Fraudji and to the states, and then he allowed the states to sabotage not just his reelection but the country as a whole, by shutting us down to an absurd degree, even well after the virus is effectively gone. And living here in California is a perfect example. I mean, I'm living in an area where the virus is gone. You can't even find it. Yesterday, our positive test rate was 0.5%. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, they couldn't find it. The, the, neg- the false positive rate is higher than 0.5%. And yet, virtually nothing in our county is open. The schools are still not open. There's no chance of full reopening anytime in the foreseeable future. And the state is the same way, because most of this is all coming from our governor, King Gavin Newsom, who, if Trump was smart, of course he's not, if Trump was smart, he and this is the biggest philosophical mistake he made in this election campaign, if Trump was smart, he would have decided, you know what, I'm not really running against Joe Biden. I'm running against Gavin Newsom through Kamala Harris, the vice presidential nominee uh, of Joe Biden. I'm running against what California has become. I'm running against what California is going to bring to the rest of the nation if Democrats control the White House the House of Representatives, and the U.S. Senate. That would have been a viable election campaign strategy, but that's way beyond Trump's capabilities. And frankly, I'm still of the belief that there's something going on uh, that's, you know, probably Freudian that that is between uh, Donald Trump and Gavin Newsom, based on the fact that Gavin Newsom was married to the girlfriend of Donald Trump Jr. 
I, I really do believe that that has something to do with why Trump doesn't see Newsom and California as clearly as he should. I believe he thinks of Newsom as somehow part of his tribe. That's the best way I can describe it. And so Trump has been disarmed largely, although he's tried in recent days in an incorrect fashion to raise California as a campaign issue, but it's too little too late. So, you know, the, the reality is that, that the media is a bunch of hypocrites on this. They are deeply invested in an alarmist view, and the alarmist view always wins because they have set the rules, they have set the parameters, they keep changing the goalposts, and it's like we're in quicksand. There's no way to get out of this, and it's almost all Trump's fault. I have said very controversially, people got upset at me for saying in the midst of this uh, pandemic situation that if Trump showed me anything, that I would actually consider supporting him. That's how big of an issue this is. But instead of stepping up to the plate and showing me something, he came out incredibly small, completely limp, completely useless, completely uh, incoherent. He took every every side of every uh, particular element of this issue, and he allowed the his enemies to destroy not just him. I don't care about that. I actually would have liked that to, to a certain degree, but to destroy my country and to destroy my kids' futures. And that's unacceptable. And that's a large part of why I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump. In fact, I wrote a column this week, which you can find at our Twitter page, and on my Twitter page, but our Twitter page is at individual, the number one pod, where I go into great detail explaining my thinking on the fact that I cannot vote for Donald Trump and I cannot vote for Joe Biden. I had intended at the beginning of this podcast, when we began this podcast a year and a half ago, I had intended to vote for Joe Biden. I had intended that Joe Biden would win the nomination on the Democratic side. I predicted that he would. I urged people to vote for him at the beginning, uh, and I thought that he would beat Donald Trump. That was the main reason why I thought Joe Biden was the right pick. Not perfect, but the right pick for the Democratic Party. But this COVID situation and some other things has made it very clear to me I cannot vote for Joe Biden either. So I'm not going to vote for either. I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump, and I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a complete disaster on the COVID situation. He's going to make it worse. He's going to pretend it's back in March when it's actually January 2021. Uh, it's going to be all about masks. It's going to be all about money. It's going to be all about proving that Donald Trump screwed this up. So now we're going to have to go through all this again. We're going to have to play pretend. We're going to have to play pretend that places that have been hit hard can still explode with the virus at any moment if we just stop using our masks and if we allow people to gather for, for you know, more than 25% in a restaurant or a movie theater or a football stadium outside, all which is bullshit. It's all bullshit, but it, we're going to have to play pretend. We're going to have to play pretend to prove to the world and to the country that Donald Trump didn't know what he was doing. That's what this is going to be all about. So people are going to suffer further. The country will be further destroyed. Also, liberals can claim victory over Donald Trump on the virus. That's what's going to happen. That is what is going to happen. You cannot be serious. That's what's going to happen. I'm telling you, that is where we're headed. We're better than that. No, we are not. 
We are not better than that. That's who we are now. That is as pathetic as it is. But once you have these powerful entities invested in a narrative, I mean, my God, liberals are deeply, deeply, deeply invested in the narrative. This is all Donald Trump's fault. That, wow, America's done uh, the worst or almost the worst in the whole world. And it's all because of Donald Trump, which isn't true in any state, shape or form, but that's the narrative. And so if it wasn't for Donald Trump, we'd all be like, you know, living like Sweden now. Well, only with a lot less deaths. That's all bullshit. But the media is invested in not being wrong. Dr. Fauci's invested in not being wrong. All the, the wrong uh, predictors and the, and the projectors, like the University of Washington, it's just completely full of shit. They're constantly wrong. Uh, but they're so deeply invested in the idea that there, there is no immunity. The immunity is irrelevant now. This is all about masks. This is all about social distancing. Uh, that now we're going to have to prove it. So once Biden is elected, there's going to be a period of time. Now, I don't know how long that period of time is. I think it's possible that it might end like, you know, the 4th of July. Biden might decide that's a good time to declare that the pandemic is effectively over, assuming there's a, some semblance of a vaccine and, you know, the numbers are where I think they would be by then. I, I could see that would be the earliest, the earliest under his administration where they could plausibly claim, see, we fixed it. We ended the virus. Let's celebrate the July 4th uh, weekend. Uh, uh, but make sure you wear your masks. Don't 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 forget about the masks, because that's that's the only thing holding us together here. I, I, Biden is has no idea. I actually believe that going forward, that Trump would actually be better on the virus than Biden. I really do believe that as as pathetic as that is. I mean, my gosh, at least he can make the argument. I'm immune. The other guy isn't. I mean, at least at least he can argue that he's he's more invulnerable to the virus going forward than Biden is. And I think symbolically that is an, an indication that he would be better on this issue. He seems to have finally gotten it. It's just too late. He, uh, he, he's got Scott Atlas advising him about herd immunity, although he calls it herd mentality. Uh, so he at least has a clue now. He's a, he's a, at least a few steps ahead of Biden, but it's way too late and he's not going to. Uh, win the election barring some cataclysmic event. And so now we're going to have to suffer further. We're going to have to suffer further for Donald Trump's uh, sins. I will say that if there's a tiny bright spot to this scenario, and it's very tiny and it's almost impossible for me to find any bright spots and where we are, uh, that, uh, you know, this is it. There is no chance, there is no chance because of this reverse Midas effect involving Donald Trump, that liberals, however you define liberals, but at least 50% of the country will never, ever, ever accept Donald Trump declaring the pandemic over. Correct. It's kind of like what Kamala Harris said at that vice presidential debate, which was a snooze fest, except for the stupid fly on Mike Pence hair, which, of course, the media obsessed about. Uh, so stupid. We're such a stupid country. Uh, but, uh, you know, Kamala Harris said that she would not take a vaccine if it was only recommended by Donald Trump. Of course, that would never be the way this would go down. But, you know, that's that's the point she wants to make. But it's it's it is an indication of where a lot of people on her side of the political aisle are. 
Trump inherently by saying something makes it false because he's perceived as being anti-science. Even though I truly believe some of his scientific instincts, not all, obviously not injecting bleach into your arm, but some of his scientific instincts are actually better than Fauci's. At least he didn't say we should be wearing goggles like Dr. Fauci did. So, I mean, Fauci's been wrong at least as much as Trump, if not more so. But the point here is that that vaccine statement by Harris really does prove that Trump does not have the moral authority to say this is over. And since he's already given all the authority to the states, he really doesn't have that much power on a federal level. So he's useless. This is really the final straw for me. This was the final straw in me determining I can't possibly vote for or support in any way Donald Trump. Because let's say he got reelected, we would never get out of this, ever, even in theory, because He doesn't have the moral authority to declare it over. In fact, if he did declare it over, 50% of the public would probably be more entrenched that it's not over simply because it's Trump. And we've seen this time and time again to great destructive consequence. Schools being probably the most dramatic example. Schools were scheduled or on path to be open in much of the country until what happened? until Donald Trump came out strongly in favor of opening them. That changed the political context, the political equation. It caused liberals, like in the teachers' unions and at the state level, to say, oh, wow, we can't do that because, one, Trump's always wrong, especially on anything that's science-related, and, two, we might be handing him a victory. We can't do that. Same thing happened with college football, although that got reversed because there was such an outcry from the rank and file and and even the Pac-12 figured okay well we better play something because if we don't uh, you know we're never going to be allowed to play football ever again because we're going to be considered a joke and Trump's taking credit for this I I actually got a fundraising email from Trump yesterday that that had the title the subject was I saved college football (laughs) I saved college football Trump said it's just flat out ridiculous (laughs) That's not what happened. In fact, Trump being in favor of it probably made it more difficult because you're dealing with liberal academics who are making these decisions. Now, did he help in the Big Ten situation? I don't know. He claims to have. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. He kept the story alive at a critical moment. I've given him some credit for that. But the reality is, in, in, in most circumstances, Trump has a reverse Midas effect. And schools and college football, there have been other situations. I'm actually very thankful that, to my knowledge, he has not come out in favor of Halloween. And I haven't, if he has, I, I, I haven't seen it. If he did come out in favor of Halloween, it would crush the last opportunity here we have in California to have a semblance of Halloween. It would absolutely do so. Halloween, where we are, is hanging by a thread. We had our local uh, county, uh, uh, you know, em- emperor uh, declare, attempt to declare that Halloween uh, was not allowed. It was banned. There was an outrage. And then he reversed himself, much like uh, Los Angeles County did, uh, almost exactly the same way. And yet today we learned that Beverly Hills has actually criminalized the city of Beverly Hills has criminalized Halloween. It is a crime to go trick-or-treating in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, the same place where just a couple months ago, at the height of the pandemic, they allowed protests and riots 
Protests and riots at the height of the pandemic. Now the pandemic is clearly fading away and they are criminalizing Halloween. You cannot be serious. But if Trump, so so I don't know whether or not the community where my kids' grandparents are going to be able to uh, still hang on and do some semblance of trick-or-treating, but if Trump came out today and said, we must do trick-or-treating, that community would probably say, all right, that's the final straw. We can't do it because that's the reality of Trump. And so while it will happen much more belatedly than it should for all the wrong reasons, and it will all be political, it will not be science-based, at the very, very least, the bright side here, the, the ray of hope, is that when Biden is president, he will at least have the moral authority with the media and at least 50 percent of the country to say this is over. And by the way, conservatives <laughs> won't won't push back against that because conservatives want the country open. Liberals are invested in it being closed for many reasons, partially to defeat Trump, partially because they don't want to admit they were duped by this whole fiasco at the beginning, partially because of their their inherent uh, uh, belief system regarding government and the power of government to to save them from things like a virus, which is utterly ridiculous. So there's all sorts of reasons, philosophical and political. But the reality is, Let's say Biden is, is, is president and uh, whether it's July 4th or whatever, he finally declares this thing over. Republicans aren't going to push back against that. There'll be no pushback, not because they trust Biden, it's because they want that to happen. It's in their self-interest for that to happen. They believe that it should have happened a long time ago. So you're going to get close to, or at least somewhat close to, 100% unanimity, which is what you need. You can't have over half the country saying, no, sorry, we're not doing this in this kind of a, a unprecedented situation. So there is that positive, and that really was the final straw for me. When I, when I thought about that, I like, okay, you know what? Even though Trump might be better on the issue in, in philosophy, from a practical standpoint, he's impotent. He can't do anything. Even if he got reelected, he's not going to fix the problem. He's only going to make it worse, not necessarily his fault, Although in a way it is, because he's he's paying the price for the nature of his presidency. This is why you don't do a base presidency. This is why you don't piss all over your opposition in every opportunity just to own the libs. This is why you don't lie constantly and give up all your credibility to get yourself out of a, a Russian collusion allegation. Because when you do that, you have no credibility left for things that actually matter. So when you're constantly lying and using up your credibility to save your own ass, when you actually need it, when a crisis happens, there's none left. And that's really the, the ultimate price that Republicans and I believe, frankly, the whole country are going to be forced to pay here because Trump used up all his credibility on things that didn't really matter to the country. It was all about saving his own hide. And when he needed it, he had none. And then even the little bit that he did have, he misused. And so we're in an impossible situation. There's no way out. The only theoretical way out is that everything goes absolutely perfectly. And after a several month period of time, hopefully only a several month period of time of paying penance, because that's what this is going to be, paying penance for the Trump presidency, eventually Biden says, uncle, or we say uncle, and, uh, and Biden says, okay. Even then, I don't believe we're going to get back to full normalcy. Because they're going to keep some of the things uh, lingering just to, you know, to show you who, who's boss. 
It's not going to be based on science. It's all going to be based on bullshit. And it's all going to be about protecting the narrative so that no one has to admit that they were wrong, that this was the biggest mistake in the history of modern humanity. No one is going to want to do that. No one will be forced to do that because they've already killed dissent. They've already discredited anybody in the media who who has the courage to dissent and and they will destroy anyone that's left, like a Scott Atlas, the advisor to the president on this, who seems to actually have a clue. Fauci will be in charge. Biden has already said that. And Fauci is deeply, 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 deeply invested in not having been wrong. And that means immunity is irrelevant. And somehow masks, which he was against, are everything. And social distancing is everything. And, you know, we can't we can't do anything fun because that's where the virus is. The virus is where the fun is. It's a remarkable virus, this virus. It knows where the fun is and it knows where the protests are. And, uh, the, you know, it doesn't attack the protests, but it attacks the fun. Oh, my God, it really fucking attacks the fun. I mean, it, even school playgrounds. I mean, it is all over the school playgrounds and the regular playgrounds. I mean, it, it knows exactly where to go. It knows Halloween is dangerous as fuck. I mean, it, 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 is, it this is a this is one nasty fucking virus, I will tell you. It's so fucking smart that it's, it's remarkable. It's so underrated, the intelligence of this virus. It's all such bullshit. But that's where we are. We're stuck. And so if you're, more, you're interested in, in the further thinking that I have as to why I'm not going to support either candidate, uh, you can go to uh, our uh, Twitter feed, at, at individual number one pod, and check out that column. It basically comes down to this. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating. The choice America has in this election is between having a cancer, which is Trump. Trump is clearly a cancer on this country and on the world. Having that cancer not only not be removed, but injecting yourself with more cancer. That's what a Trump reelection would be. So we were going to take the cancer and instead of trying to eradicate it, we're going to inject ourselves with more malignancy. That's what the Trump reelection campaign would mean if it was successful. However, the other option is we're going to eradicate the specific cancer that is the Trump cancer, but in combination with eradicating that cancer, you're also going to get a national lobotomy and a sex change operation. That's what's going to happen. So those are the choices. Do you want to die of cancer or do you want to maybe live a few years longer, but with a lobotomy and a sex change operation? Because uh, frankly, uh, neither of those options is remotely appealing to me and I can't be a party to it. So I'm going to vote for the libertarian candidate uh, Joe Jurgensen is her name. Doesn't matter if she's qualified. Doesn't matter what her positions are. Liberty is under attack. I'm going to vote for the Libertarian Party for president. And if you're in a non-swing state and you're listening in America, I would urge you to do the same thing. Again, check out my column uh, for Mediate. Now, I joked at the beginning of uh, this podcast that the Amy Barrett confirmation process had been uh, postponed until after the election because of all the funerals involving the Republicans who were on the Judiciary Committee because they got the COVID virus. None of that, of course, is true. Uh, Here's what's interesting to me about the the first couple days of the hearings for Barrett. Nothing interesting has happened. Nothing. I mean, there's, there's never been a story or a situation where no news is good news more than this one. If there's no news, then, you know, then she's going to be fine and she's going to be nominated. That's really what this is all about. 
I mean, this is a situation where unless there's some sort of massive bombshell that derails this or something happens to delay this. And by the way, speaking of just how bad it, it reminded me of just how bad Biden and Harris are going to be on the virus. Kamala Harris, who's on the committee, actually made the argument that the confirmation hearings should not be happening because of all the people who got the virus. Now, I realize she's doing that politically because they want this to be delayed because they want it to happen after the election. And therefore, they might have a better chance of killing the nomination. I get that. But the fact that she would say that publicly in, in, a, in, a, in on national television indicates to me that she just doesn't have a clue about the virus, that she is totally bought into this idea that perfectly healthy people who who get this and don't even realize they have it or maybe have the sniffles, that somehow that's a big enough deal to shut everything down. That's em- emblematic of where their mindset is. They're going to shut everything down on a whim because they've bought into the false premise and narrative of what it means to be a positive test here. But In the bigger picture, uh, so far so good with regard to Amy Barrett's confirmation, which I'm very much in favor of, especially since Trump is going to lose and probably Democrats are not just going to have the White House, but probably the Senate and the House as well. We don't know that for sure yet, but it's certainly trending in that direction. And this is going to be an absolute crap show going forward. And having an extra vote on the Supreme Court might be the difference between holding the country together and not from the perspective of me, a staunch conservative. But there's been no news of anything close to a bombshell. Democrats have pretty much embarrassed themselves. Uh, and I, I had joked, only half-jokingly, uh, when the, the schedule was announced for the Barrett hearings, that I wondered on what day there was going to be an allegation of sexual assault made against her probably by a former Notre Dame student who just happens to be super liberal and never told anything about anyone about this when it happened until they had therapy years later. Kind of like the, not kind of, exactly like the Christine Blasey Ford bullshit that came up against Brett Kavanaugh in his hearings a couple of years ago at the very last moment. So far, there's been nothing like that. I More realistically, I thought, okay, they're not going to be able to possibly get away with a, with a BS... Uh, assault claim against the mother of seven kids. Uh, that's not that's not plausible even for this insane world. But they're probably going to have to try to find something that makes her into a racist. Uh, they haven't been able to find that either as of yet. But they did at least try to to raise the specter of sexual assault via the questioning of probably our dumbest U.S. senator. Uh, she is a senator from Hawaii, and her name is Mazzy Hirono. And uh, Senator Hirono uh, uh, did a couple of very uh, strange things, even by her very low standards. She castigated Amy Barrett for having uh, committed the sin of referring to uh, lesbians and transgender people as having expressed a sexual preference. The term sexual preference is apparently now so offensive that you cannot use it as a Supreme Court nominee. Sexual preference. You cannot be serious. Sexual, pre- this is the world we're heading for, folks. These are the people who are about to take over America. You Sexual preference. So, so let's to be clear on this, I don't want to make too much, too much of it, but it's, a, it's important to at least get full context here. So their belief is that you choose to be a lesbian or you can choose to be any gender you want or any 
sexual orientation you want. I mean, that, these are the science people, by the way. These are the people who believe in science. But yet somehow uh, gen- genetics and biology have nothing to do with your sexual preference. It's about your choice. Okay. Yet if you say it's about your choice, that's offensive. What? What? It's just flat out ridiculous. That's where we are on this. So, so she castigated Barrett for having used the offensive term sexual preference. And then, <laughs> out of the blue, uh, she decides to go into the realm of sexual assault. Just to make sure we're on the record here that Amy Barrett, <laughs> middle-aged mother of seven, <laughs> ardent Catholic, has never committed sexual assault. And here's what that sounded like. Since you became a legal adult, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any verbal or physical harassment or assault of a sexual nature? No, Senator Hirono. Have you ever faced discipline or entered into a settlement related to this kind of conduct? No, Senator. Boy, I'm glad we got that on the record. I'm glad we got that on the record. Now, to be fair, the senator did claim, and I'm presuming she's not lying about this, that she asks every nominee this question. But those are not on national television <laughs> in such a high-profile situation. And by virtue of even asking the question with absolutely zero foundation, that's a smear, right? Because at least some portion of the population is going to go, wow, there must be some reason why they're asking that question, right? No, it's all just bullshit. It's, it's all obvious bullshit, and, you know, uh, Barrett handled it exactly as she should have. And, of course, there was, there was no bombshell story, that she, at least not yet, uh, that she's somehow lying about that. Although I'm sure there's got to be some very liberal, whether it's male or female, I don't know, could, could be either, because, you know, it depends on your, your sexual preference, I guess, uh, you know, the, if that's offensive, I don't know anymore. Uh, but I, I'm sure there's got to be some former Notre Dame student of hers that is at least uh, thought about plotting some sort of bogus allegation against her because they'd become instantly famous and a hero of the left. You'd be a hero. You'd get a career out of it if you, you know, especially if the story went well at all. I mean, even if it didn't actually derail her nomination. But we haven't even seen that as of yet. Although anything's still possible. Democrats are going to get desperate on this one because it's right now it looks like uh, they're going to be able to push her through before the election. I still believe it's got to be before the election. It's got to be before the election, because after the election, the way things are looking, all the dynamics are going to change. And uh, Trump will have zero leverage. Republicans will be running for the hills. It'll be a lame duck session. Uh, I guess it would be possible to get her through. But I I think the chances would be far, far less than that they did it before the actual election. Now, as far as the election itself, I've already implied several times that I'm still very strongly of the belief that Trump is going to lose. So let's get into that. I I think Trump now realizes he's going to lose. There's a lot of evidence that Trump realizes he's going to lose. The uh, we've got, first of all, (laughs) Trump's not responsible for this, but he's certainly aware of it. My God, the number of fundraising emails that I get. I mean, the worst, most psychotic ex-girlfriend in the world never sent as many emails on a daily basis as the Trump campaign sends to someone like me who hasn't given money to Republicans in many, many, many years. But I'm on the list for whatever reason from my past life as a as a Republican. I get at least 
at least 10 to 15 fundraising emails from the Trump campaign on a daily basis. I already mentioned the one that was entitled I Saved College Football and was actually offering a, a signed football from Donald Trump to someone who contributes to the campaign. The, these emails reek, reek of desperation. Correct. And this, of course, by the way, is a guy who's claiming to be a you know, multi-billionaire who doesn't apparently have several hundred million dollars to inject into his own campaign, largely because I'm sure he's pretty convinced he's going to lose at this point and he doesn't have that kind of money. Uh, but they are desperate. And that's never a good sign a couple of weeks out from an election that you're desperate for money. That you are, I mean, these are really pathetic emails in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's more than just that. Uh, you know, there's the issue of the, the second debate, which I told you wasn't going to happen. I correctly predicted that immediately after that first disastrous debate. We'll get into what's going to happen there more in a moment. Uh, but I think that's also an indication of big, big trouble. But there was also a statement that Trump made last night. Uh, in Pennsylvania that, to me, was an open admission that he knows that these polls showing him losing are real. Now, I can assure you, because I deal with them on Twitter far, far too much. I'm an idiot for even bothering to deal with these morons, but it's somewhat educational. I can assure you that his base of support, the Trump cult, is completely and totally convinced that the polls are wrong. Correct. That, that he is actually winning. Despite the fact that he is creating all sorts of signals that he knows that he's losing. And one of them happened last night. It happened in Pennsylvania, which, by the way, is where he needs to be. Because if he can't win Pennsylvania, this thing is over. I've said that dozens of times, maybe more than that, from the very beginning of this podcast. This is all about Pennsylvania. Now, he's got to win a lot of other states to even get uh, for Pennsylvania to even matter. But if he can't win Pennsylvania, which is at this point a long shot, it's really, really difficult to see a path where he wins. And in fact, back in 2014, the only time I met Donald Trump, the subject was Pennsylvania in a different context, but it was very interesting in retrospect because it was obvious to me at that moment that he always saw Pennsylvania as the key to his presidential strategy, which had to already be in existence in spring of 2014, well before the 2016 election, but he had to know he was going to run. And so it's all about Pennsylvania. He won Pennsylvania in 2016. That's why he won the presidency or one of the main reasons why he won the presidency uh, along with Michigan and Wisconsin. I think Michigan and Wisconsin are probably off the table at this point because the only reason why he won them in 2016 was Democratic complacency, which isn't going to exist uh, in 2020. And probably there was a lot more hatred of Hillary and distrust of her than there is of Joe Biden in Wisconsin and in Michigan, whether that's bounded or not, I don't know, but that seems to be the reality. So last night in Pennsylvania, where he needs to win, Trump effectively started pleading. He started pleading with suburban women. Now, suburban women are a huge, huge voting demographic in Pennsylvania. They are famously, there's, there, there might be the most famous swing voter in the entire country. Suburban women outside of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And I know this very well because I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia I have two sisters who are still living in the suburbs of Philadelphia. 
And so this is right up my alley. Uh, and it is, it is pretty clear that without suburban, specifically white women in Pennsylvania, Trump cannot win. And the polls are all suggesting that he's doing horrifically with this voting demographic, at least in comparison to what he would have to do to win. And last night in Pennsylvania, Trump substantiated this belief about as overtly as he possibly could by openly pleading, not particularly effectively, pleading with suburban women to like him. And here's what that sounded like. I ask you to do me a favor. Suburban women, will you please like me? Remember? Please. Please. I saved your damn neighborhood, okay? The other thing, I don't have that much time to be that nice. You know, I can do it, but I got to go quickly. We don't have time. They want me to be politically correct. Oh, yes, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it over the next 10 years. No, no, no. Now, we saved your, you, we saved suburbia. All right. Now, I found that clip to be fascinating uh, because that was a rare moment of candor by Trump. And here's how I interpreted that. If you listen carefully, and I'm going to play it again because I want to set this up differently the second time. I believe that what Trump is doing there is he is sharing what his advisors are telling him. They're telling him, Donald, Mr. President, suburban women don't like you. They don't like you. Can you please be politically correct? They don't like the way you handled the first debate. They don't like the tweets. They don't like the verbiage. They don't like your your demeanor. Can you please, we've got to win suburban women or else we can't win this election. That's what they're telling him. Now listen to this again and see if you agree with me. And is this an admission, one, that the polls are right, that he's losing, and two, that he's basically hosed because he really doesn't want to do what they're telling him he needs to do. And then he's making these ridiculous claims that somehow he saved suburbia. But listen again. I ask you to do me a favor. Suburban women, will you please like me? Remember? Please. Please. I saved your damn neighborhood, okay? The other thing, I don't have that much time to be that nice. You know, I can do it, but I got to go quickly. We don't have time. They want me to be politically correct. Oh, yes, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it over the next 10 years. No, no, no. Now, we saved your, you, we saved suburbia. I think I'm dead right about this. I think that's Trump sharing conversations he's had with his advisors, warning him that he's toast. And that he's not fully in on what it would take to potentially, although I think it's too late, to turn that around. And uh, the polling is pretty clear. And what I find hilarious is that none of his fans will interpret that statement the same way that I just did. Because they're all of the very fervent religious belief that he is not just not losing, that he is winning this election. Now, to his supporters, and I can tell you this from firsthand experience, that is blasphemy. Blasphema! They, they believe that the polls are completely rigged against him. Of course, Trump has said the same thing, yet whenever there's a glimmer of hope in the polls, he's the first one to point it out. So which is it? Holy hypocrisy, Batman. Are the polls rigged against you, or are they somehow showing you're, you're actually winning? I, I'm of the belief that the polls 
are not rigged against him. I believe that pollsters are human beings and do not want to be perceived as having blown this a second time. And if anything, if the polls are biased, they're more likely to be biased in his favor than in the other direction. But I think they're probably pretty darn accurate right now for a lot of different reasons. But Trump is not currently winning, despite what his cult would love to believe. He said it again. And let's go through what some of the polls currently indicate. There's a good reason why Trump was saying this at this Pennsylvania rally last night. Of the last 25 swing state polls, this is according to Real Clear Politics, which is the best uh, site with regard to, to posting all of the relevant polling data. Of the last 25 swing state polls, 25 over the last several days, this goes back three or four days, there have been 25 swing state polls. Trump is only winning Two of those polls, two out of 25. And in the two that he's winning, he is winning by two points, which is inside the margin of error. And he does not have 50% support in either of those two polls. He has close, but not yet 50%, which is key for an incumbent. And those two states, Georgia and Florida, are two states that he must win easily for him to win re-election. He cannot be fighting for his life in Georgia or even in Florida and win this election. Because if he's fighting for his life in Georgia, which has always been a red state, trending now more purple suddenly, largely because of Trump. But if he can't win Georgia and Florida with relative ease, there's no shot at Pennsylvania. There's zero shot at Michigan and Wisconsin. There's probably no shot at Arizona. There's probably no shot in North Carolina. Because North Carolina is nowhere near as conservative as Georgia. Just look at the geography. The further north you go, the, the less conservative you tend to be on the East Coast. Until you get down to you know Miami. Then you're back in New York City. But the, the reality is that Georgia, if Georgia really is a toss-up, Trump is toast. And of those 25 swing state polls, now, to be clear, I would say about 20 of them are still close enough to where, okay, Trump's got a theoretical shot. But you can't run the table in every single one, especially when you did the same thing in 2016. Of course, Trump people think, oh, this is going to be a repeat of 2016. No, no, no. It's going to be actually the opposite. You're not. Where's James Comey? Where's James Comey to step in ten days before the election and 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 handicap uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign? That's not going to happen. Not to mention, there's all sorts of other differences. Plus, we we already know about what happened in 2018, and the polls were dead on, and Trump got routed in that midterm election. Now, mail-in voting is going to create a a real wild card, and it's going to very much impact how the votes are counted. And how the voting is perceived, we're going to get into that more in the next couple of weeks before the election. Those are going to be big issues. But as far as the ultimate final results, if Trump was going to win, he would have to win almost all, not all, but almost all of those states that are in the pool of the 25 swing state polls that I just told you about. And he absolutely needs to win Georgia and Florida, and he's losing some of those polls in Georgia and Florida. He's, I mean, I just pointed out the two where he's winning. Within that group of 25, there's a couple 
in Georgia and Florida where he's losing, not by big margins, although one of them is a big margin in Florida, which is probably not true. And I'm still of the belief that he's probably going to win Georgia and Florida. In fact, even though I'm not going to vote for him, I'm not supporting him, I obviously hate him, I hope he does win Georgia and Florida because if he doesn't, in my view, the country is lost because Georgia and Florida are two of the, the biggest states where Republican governors have against the conventional media wisdom and at great personal peril have opened up their state to largely great success with very little, in comparison to other states, very little medical damage. They deserve credit in Florida and Georgia. And if Trump can't win in states where the governor has done everything they possibly can as a Republican to open up the state, to allow people to live life, and Biden clearly wants to shut down the country again, and Trump loses those two states, Republican states, my God, we're fucked. We are completely fucked if Trump can't win uh, Florida and Georgia under these circumstances. But winning Florida and Georgia just gets him out of the batter's box when it comes to winning re-election. He would still then have to win North Carolina at first base, and second base would be Arizona, and you know uh, Ohio would probably be third base, and then Pennsylvania would be getting home. That, and that's just getting out of the batter's box with Georgia and Florida. So Trump is in big, big trouble, and I think he knows it. And what's interesting to me as a, as a lifelong Republican who desperately would like to see the Republicans somehow maintain control of the Senate, which I, I think is a long shot at this point, is what's really interesting and also frustrating is that because Trump is not a normal person, <laughs> is he even human? We don't know. But because he's not a normal person and he's not a normal president, this puts Republicans in a far more difficult position with regard to hanging on to the Senate. Because let me tell you what would happen in a normal situation. If the polls were as they are right now, and we saw this in 1996, Robert Dole, who was a senator, against Bill Clinton running for re-election. Dole realized he was going to lose. It was very clear, it was made very clear that U.S. senators on the Republican side, it was every man for yourself, you can do whatever you need to to don't worry about me. You'll put all the money into the Republicans trying to get the you know senators either elected or reelected. If you need to criticize me, fine, whatever. Do what you got to do to win. Mitch McConnell and Republicans in 2020 can't do that. They can't do it, at least not publicly. They probably can't even do it privately because Trump would find out. But they can't do it publicly. And it would probably be even more beneficial to them than it was with Dole, because Dole was at least personally liked as a war hero. He wasn't nearly as toxic as Donald Trump. But in a rational world, senators who are running for re-election or those who were trying to win potentially uh, you know, winnable seats like in Michigan, they would publicly distance themselves in some ways from Donald Trump because it might give them a better shot. And they, more importantly than distancing themselves from Trump, they would make the argument. This, is, this would be, I guarantee you, this is what Mitch McConnell would like to be doing right now. Mitch McConnell would like to be running millions of dollars of ads talking about what life would be like in America with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris having a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate. 
But he can't do that because Trump would have a meltdown. That's handicapping Republicans holding on to the Senate. And it's further evidence of why once this shit show happens, Republicans and conservatives ought to be infuriated at Donald Trump because because of his own selfish ego, his own self-interest, because of his own delusions, he's harming the cause. Because I believe the Senate is salvageable. I don't believe America wants full Democratic control, but they're going to probably get that if only by accident because Republicans can't even use that argument. Because if they do use that argument, Trump will go bananas. And Trump will destroy whoever uses that argument and his cult won't vote for them and they know they'll lose anyway because you can't win without, as a Republican without the Trump cult voting for you. So Trump has McConnell by the balls here. And it's, it's, it's going to be devastating because it's increasing the chances of a Biden-Harris presidency with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House and then God help us all. Because especially with the coronavirus being the ultimate uh, uh, excuse to exert governmental control over our lives, we're completely done. So that's an interesting, that's a situation to keep your eye on. Because McConnell is going to be, he wants to hold on to that majority with every fiber of his being. We've had uh, Congressman John Yarmouth, Democrat from Kentucky, who knows McConnell well on this podcast many times. And he has always maintained that if he believed, that Mitch McConnell believed that Donald Trump was imperiling his Senate majority, that McConnell would knife him in the back. Well, I don't think that's going to happen because I think McConnell understands he's screwed either way. If he knifes Trump in the back, Trump's going to cut him off at the knees. And it's all it's gonna actually going to be worse for Republicans in the Senate. But this is another perfect example of the price we pay for Donald Trump being the president of the United States, which is why I was against his nomination from the beginning, because I knew it was going to eventually lead to situations like this. And the carnage that's going to result, unfortunately, I believe is going to be catastrophic. And it's all going to be Trump's fault. And it's all going to be the fault of those who were duped into supporting him. As far as Biden, Biden's, you know, he's a disaster. Uh, he's he's clearly lost it mentally. He forgot Mitt Romney's name the other day. Uh, you know, there's this new story out in the New York Post, which I'm sure Trump fans are all excited about, involving Hunter Biden and emails and Ukraine. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I really couldn't care less. Not going to impact the election to me. I, I'm amazed that Joe Biden has not been forced to answer the question of whether he's going to pack the Supreme Court. There's been some media pushback on that. But very little because our entire system is totally broken. How you become president of the United States without answering the question whether you intend to pack the Supreme Court is is completely beyond me. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mentioned that there's not going to be a second debate, which I predicted immediately after the first shit show debate. Uh, instead, and this just shows out what a stupid country we are. Instead of a debate on uh, tomorrow, Thursday, we're going to have dueling town halls on different television networks for Biden and Trump. This is so stupid. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why the second debate was canceled. I don't even know if there's ever going to be a third debate. My, my gut tells me probably not, but maybe there will be. I don't know. But I did correctly tell you there wouldn't be a second debate. I didn't realize we'd have this stupid dueling town hall situation 
But, uh, you know, the reality is Trump is not contagious. There should have been a debate tomorrow night. Uh, there's, it should not have done, been done remotely. That was obviously intended to make Trump look bad and, and give him some sort of, uh, you know, basically put him in an orange jumpsuit in front of a jury because it will make him look like, oh, my gosh, he's, he's so contagious you can't even get in a room with him. Meanwhile, he's having these massive outdoor rallies and no one's having any problem with that. And, and so far, there's no indication anyone's getting sick. There's no indication, according to his doctors, that he's contagious at all. But we, we, we have to believe in the religion of the virus rather than the science of the virus, at least among the media elites and the liberals. But now we're going to have this situation where instead of a debate, there's going to be these separate simultaneous town halls. And so what's going to happen? There's going to be a battle over the TV ratings. That's what this is going to be about, whether whether or not Biden's TV ratings on ABC or Trump's ratings on NBC are going to be bigger. Now, I don't know whose ratings are going to be bigger. Uh, I do know that if the Trump fan theory of this election is remotely accurate, Trump's ratings should be three times as large as Biden's. Right. Because the theory is that all the enthusiasm is on the Trump side. So this is actually an interesting test of that, right? If, the, if all the enthusiasm is on the side of Trump, his ratings should blow the doors off of Biden's. I don't believe that's going to be the case. If you looked at the convention ratings, as pathetically boring as the Biden uh, can, uh, convention was, their ratings were actually a little bit higher than Trump's TV ratings, which, and his, his convention at least, <laughs> didn't look like it was done in a prison, uh, and had some entertainment value to it. So uh, if that's any indication, I don't think there's any chance that Trump's ratings are going to be way bigger than Biden's. Maybe they will be because of the, the dueling nature of it. But I am quite confident they're not going to be double or triple what they should be if the Trump fans are correct about how important enthusiasm is. Frankly, I, I'm probably not going to watch either of them. I might tune in just to see if anything crazy happens. But uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on either one because they're irrelevant because all the, 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 the Biden voters are going to watch Biden. The Trump voters are going to watch Trump. The independent voters aren't going to watch. There's all three of them aren't going to watch anything because there's no need because they're not together. So it's all just stupid. And it's just an indication of just what a dumb country America has become in 2020. Uh, so uh, I'm going to keep the, the chances of Trump winning the reelection campaign at approximately the same as it was last week. I, last week, I arbitrarily made it 3.5 percent. I'll make it 5 percent this week only because there's a tiny sign of life in Trump's poll numbers in Pennsylvania. He, there's been some indication that he's within shouting distance in Pennsylvania. And if he, you know, if he can't win Pennsylvania, he cannot win. So since there is a theoretical chance that he's making up some ground in Pennsylvania, I'm going to nudge that up to all of 5% chance of Trump winning re-election, which, of course, the Trump fans think I'm crazy for that. Uh, but we shall see. Of course, no one will apologize if and when I'm actually right about that because that's the way the Trump fans work. Uh, so, as always, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual the number one pod. That's at individual the number one pod. Until next week, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.